John chapter 18, verse 37 and 38. Now, before I get started this morning, I want to mention a couple of things to you. First of all, a warning. The message this morning is going to uncharacteristically be heavily laden with an overabundance of scriptures. We don't usually use as many scriptures as I'll be using today, but you'll understand why as this message goes. Now, the reason I say this ahead of time is because I just don't want anybody fretting because we have note takers that like to take notes. If you're not getting all this, I really had intended to share this message with you this morning with uh, the use of a data show in the background to, as we revolve through these verses, or maybe bring a paper copy to give you. But I thought that better to just keep your attention as I share and offer you this outline with all these verses and all that I'm going to say. All you will need to do is simply text me you, or you can email me and ask for this, this morning's outline and I'll get it right back to you. And if you don't have that, we have cards, church cards in the back that have my contact. You can get them and I'd be happy to provide this for you. What is truth? Pilate asked Jesus as he stood before him on the tri at the trial the day that Jesus was crucified. That, uh, that, that confrontation, that brief conversation between the governor of uh, Judea and the Lord Jesus Christ before he was crucified takes place in John chapter 18. Verse 37 and 30. I want you to uh, listen. I'm going to read just this excerpt uh, this, of this little exchange between them and see if you can just capture the atmosphere of what's going on. <clears throat> Pilate said to him, Then are you a king? Jesus answered, You say it. You speak correctly, for I am a king. This is why I was born. And for this I have come unto the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, who is a friend of the truth, who belongs to the truth, hears and listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Everyone who is a friend of the truth, belongs to the truth, listens, hears the truth, hears my voice. And Pilate's response, as a classic modern day Western thinker, Pilate says, well, what is truth? In his cynicism, Pilate is the modern man. And he lives like a pinball in a moral vacuum. Without the truth, in his life, his decisions are guided by the forces of the situations that he finds himself in, much like most people in today's world. In, contact, in contrast, King David writes in uh, Psalm 119, Your instructions are a doorway through which light shines. They give insight to the untrained. Direct my steps by your word. Do not let any sin dominate me. And that's Psalm 119, 130 and 133. Now David, unlike Pilate, he knows. He knows that God's word is the unbreakable truth that frames and constitutes reality. David understands reality when he looks at the world around him is defined by the truth of God as expressed through his word. Pilate, on the other hand, is standing before the king of truth and doesn't recognize him and says, what is truth? Therefore, a king of truth is meaningless to Pilate because Pilate doesn't believe that there is any such thing as the truth. There's just truisms that change from situation to situation. The truths that men make up that do not come from or confirm the truth which God has spoken are like shape-shifting tofu. I mean, think about it. 
They take the form and flavor of people's sins and desires. And that really is the truth that the world adopts, is that, that shape-shifting, tasteless tofu that waits upon us to inject our interests and our desires and proclivities, etc., etc., into it. That becomes, that becomes the truth. But the truth, and I want to emphasize that definite article, the truth. The phrase the truth means that there is no other. There is the truth. The truth is the perfect expression of God's will and of his nature. He presents himself. He presents his nature. He presents his intentions through the truth that he has spoken. And in the final judgment of the world, the final judgment of all things, all ideas, all people, all nations, the world is simply going to be sifted for its content of the truth. And the reality by which people will be judged will not be the opinions of men, but it will be the truth of the gospel. If we only knew that what we tremble at and fear and cower to and bow to today in the form of public opinion, uh, taught morality, situational ethics, will simply fade and melt away like wax before a furnace on the day when the truth sifts the world for content. So what I've done is I have put together a listing of 32 statements of Scripture about the truth. I'm going to let the truth speak for itself. I'm going to share with you this morning a list of 32 statements that come from the Bible that all reference the truth. You might be surprised. Sometimes until you take the word out and really look at it, and rightly divide the word, you will be amazed and surprised at how much the word is relevant to your life. The truth is absolutely the non-negotiable element that attaches and keeps you connected to God. Can you say amen? Now these 32 statements, interestingly, I didn't know this, I didn't try to do this. After I wrote down these 32 statements that I found in scriptures, I just it occurred to me, as I read them, I noticed a pattern. I noticed some of them were positive and were promises. And some of them, though positive, they were warnings. And so I did a little count, and I put a P for promise, and I put a W for warning in front of them, and it turns out that 15 are promises, and 15 are warnings. That leaves two. Those two stood out, they were different. They are a combination of a promise and a warning. So I'm going to save those two for last. But let's begin with the promises. The first statement about truth in the Bible that I've selected is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, as Jesus is praying in the garden. Verse 17, Jesus says, Father, sanctify them, purify, consecrate, separate them for yourself, make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. So the first fact about the truth is that God's word, the Bible, is the truth. Next we find in Ephesians 4 and 21, Paul writes, the truth is in Jesus Christ. And so the second promise concerning the truth is that the truth can be found in Jesus Christ. Next, the scripture goes a little deeper with this idea. And written in John's Gospel, chapter 14 and verse 6, the words of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So the third truth, the third fact about the truth, the third promise about the truth from the Scripture is not just that the truth is in Jesus, but that Jesus is the truth. Amen. The truth is not ambiguous. It's not mysterious. It's not beyond our reach. It's not incomprehensible. The truth was made flesh. The truth can talk with you. 
and you could talk with the truth. You could see and understand the eternal God, the expression of the truth in the person of Jesus Christ. The truth is accessible to the world today and has been for 2,000 years for all that will open up their eyes and receive it. Next we find Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In Jesus you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. And also in Colossians 1, 5, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So the fourth fact about the truth is that the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel is the word or the message of the truth. So if people say, well, what is the truth saying? What is the point? What's the focus? What is the truth presenting to us? The presentation of the truth is the gospel of Jesus. Next we find in James chapter 1 and verse 18. James writes concerning Jesus, of his own will, he gave us new birth by the word of truth. So the fifth promise or the fifth fact about the truth is that you were born again by the truth. If it were not that the truth existed, you would not be born again. You would not be saved. You have been transformed, born a second time with your name written in the Lamb's book of life through the truth. The next one we find is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2.13 where Paul writes, God chose you to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So the sixth fact about the truth is that it is belief in the truth that is the only way to be saved. You will find as we work our way down through this list, both the positive and the warnings, both the promises and, and the warnings about the truth, that if you were to get this out every day, put it in your lap, read it, it would bring clarity to your mind. And boy, don't Christians need clarity in the world today. Next we find in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 32, the words of Jesus when he said, And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Hallelujah. So the seventh fact about the truth is that knowing the truth makes you free. Amen. You can try all sorts of things in this life to try to get yourself free. But you know and I know, and all who are honest with themselves, that you never really become free indeed. Where you are free of the, the proclivities and the brokenness, the trap and the sin and the futility of your own nature, much less the world around you, you're never free by anything less than the truth because everything else is simply a lateral move or a step backwards. Freedom doesn't occur until we are reunited with the one from whom we have been separated since Adam. And so the truth, knowing it, will make you free. Somebody say amen. amen. Next, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one who has been approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You know, Christians strive to accomplish a lot of things, but the one thing we cannot fail at is to rightly handle the word of truth. I'll probably save this commentary for later in the message, but the Bible, the church today is in danger with a flimsy, shallow grasp on the Word of God. And in the world that we live in today, if ever we needed that verse in 2 Timothy 2.15, we need to be approved. We need to start seeing Christians coming off the pages of shame 
and coming back into the light. People can disagree with you. They can disagree with your gospel. But they ought to be able to look and see the excellence of the character of Christ. They ought to be able to see that light shining and not see shame. That excellence and that which keeps you from falling into shame is not your intensity of emotion. It's not your intentions. It's not uh, the church that you go to or the people that you get to approve of you. But it comes through your relationship with the truth. Rightly dividing the truth and God will approve of you. So the eighth fact about the truth is that God will approve. God will approve of those who study and apply the truth. Next, out of the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing or at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So the ninth fact about the truth is that agape, the love of God, the love that really matters, the love that is eternal, that will never fail and never fail you. The Bible says that love rejoices in the truth, but it will not and does not rejoice at wrongdoing, which is the opposite of the truth. And so Christian, join me today in a new commitment that as we walk through this life, in this world where we are connected by our opinions to many different things besides just the truth. In the society that we live in, we live in a diverse society with diverse ideas among a people who are free with their will to choose to say whatever they want to say, act however they want to act. And Christians, just like everybody else, can't help but form opinions. But let me warn, and this really isn't under the, the heading of warning, it really is a promise, that if you would rejoice with the truth and not rejoice with wrongdoing, then the love of God will move and work and manifest in your life. Love, hallelujah, love is connected with the truth, the agape love. Next, 2 Corinthians 13 and 8. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the sake of the truth. This is amazing. Think about it. The tenth fact about the truth is that people cannot hurt the truth. You can try to twist it. You can reject it. In public, they can make any decision they want. But you cannot change the truth. You cannot hurt the truth. You cannot do anything against the truth. And if you find yourself trying to fight against the truth, trying to twist it, you will only damage yourself and others. You cannot damage the truth. And that to me is a comfort to know that no matter what I do or what mistakes I make in life, I may take a step in error in the wrong direction, but I cannot hurt the truth. In my life and in your life, there's a thing called the truth and it never changes. It is eternal and you can't hurt the truth. It's wonderful when I look at a world that is tearing itself apart. When I look at the failures of men and all the pain and suffering that they cause, it's wonderful to know when I search around and don't see anything holding together with perfection to know that there's a thing called the truth and it cannot be hurt. I know that ultimately it's all going to be all right. If I hold on to that truth, that truth cannot be broken. Next, Psalm 119, verse 142. David writes, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. We vote for things. And we get excited. But nothing seems to last. And David certainly saw that in his day. But David said, oh God, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. And your word is the truth. So number 11 in our list, the truth outlives generations and trends. Trends can rise and fall. Generations can come and go. But the truth outlives them all. It was the truth in the day of my great-great-grandparents. 
It was the truth when I was growing up, and it's going to be the truth long after I have died and left this world and my grandchildren and their children are left. The truth remains through all generations. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Next, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Peter says, You have purified your souls by obeying the truth. And so the twelfth fact or promise concerning the truth is that it is obeying the truth that purifies your soul. You cannot cleanse yourself with intense emotion. You cannot separate yourself from impurity because you can get the person that matters most in your life to clear you. If you want to purify your soul, there's only one way. You must embrace the truth. And the truth will burn all that is impure out and make you new and make you right before God. Somebody say amen. amen. The only way for imperfect people to experience righteousness that never fails and never ends is to embrace what is perfect. And that is the truth. You and I are flawed people. We don't know everything the way we ought to know. And some of the things you and I know and believe aren't right. Some of us are immature. Some of us are underdeveloped. But the reality is, is that by having a relationship and obeying the truth, we can have the benefit of what is perfect in life. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Let me hasten this a little bit and go to the next one. Ephesians 4.15 says, But by practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in Christ. And so number 13 in our list, the truth produces maturity. If you need to mature or grow, I know of no better way than for you to embrace and do and follow the truth of God. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 21, John says, No lie is of the truth. And so number 14 is that the truth never lies. You can rest assured today that the truth that has come out of the mouth of God, the truth as He has manifested it in His Son Jesus Christ, has never and could never produce a lie. There's no error in the truth. Hallelujah. And finally, the 15th and final positive promise concerning the truth is found in 1 John 1.8 where it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now you might think, well, that doesn't sound like a positive promise. Well, it is the way my mind works, and, and uh, my mind sometimes works in a little erratic way. But if you will join me and think about this first for a moment. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That means, and number 15, is that <clears throat> if the truth is in you, you can rebound from sin. Amen. That when you and I sin, when we make mistakes, and how many of you know, no matter how perfect the truth is, working in your life, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to fall short. But if you are holding on to the truth, the truth will hold on to you. And as you walk in the truth, rather than when you do sin, when you do make mistakes, rather than covering it up with a lie and saying, I have no sins, I haven't made a mistake, or justifying yourself, just give it up and go to God and have a right relationship with the truth and say, Father, I sinned. I blew it, but I believe the truth in Jesus Christ that His blood washed me from all sins. You will rebound. And you will keep on rebounding. The game isn't won by perfect shooters. The game under the net is won by the team that knows how to control the ball when you've lost the shot. That's the team. That's the secret to winning. You may not have the best shooters on your team. But if they can work under that net and regain control of the ball, you can be the winner. You can be the champion. Rebounding is the name of the game. And when you have a relationship with the truth, you can rebound from your mistakes. Somebody, somebody, somebody say amen. amen. 
Now, the warnings. There are 15 warnings in the Bible. And years ago, I had a friend that said, well, when it's right, it's tight. So here we go. Hallelujah. The first one is found in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Talking about, really, the society that is deteriorating around us today. The insanity that we see that is, that is um, uh, flowing through our education system and the effect it's having upon the uh, young generation that we are raising up. And as Paul looks ahead and sees this world that you and I live in, he makes a commentary in Romans chapter 1, and I pulled one phrase out of that commentary, where he says, because they exchanged, traded the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creation, nature, rather than the creator. We got a lot of nature worshipers today. You know, it's nice to pick up litter. It's fine to reclaim water. That's great. But if you live every day in terror that the world is going to collapse and destroy itself, maybe you ought to pick this thing up and read it. If you believe the truth, the truth is that man is going to go through all kinds of changes, but God's going to hold on to the earth. And one day he will renovate the world by fire and make a new heaven and a new earth. And until he does, that earth is fine. It's going to do just fine. So number one in our warnings is that replacing the truth about God with anything else is a lie. There is no such thing as other truths. There is the truth. Everything else is a lie. The Bible says... Let God be true and every man be a liar. Next, 2 Timothy 3 and 7 says, as it talks again about the people of the last days, and uh, there's that list about men will be covetous, boasters, proud, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, despisers of those that are good, heady, high-minded, and it goes on and on having a form of godliness, but denying the power from such turn away. He brings that list to a head and he says in 2 Timothy 3, 7, that they will be ever learning. Education is going to be dangled before people as the ultimate answer to everything. Ever learning, but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. The second fact about the truth is that education will not produce the truth. God is not against education, but you need to understand. You and I are going to leave this church in a little while, and we're going to go to our respective places where we're going to share a meal. I enjoy, I don't know what I'm going to eat, might be shrimp, might be pork, but whatever it is, I'm going to enjoy it. But I'm not going to try to talk to it. And I'm not going to worship it. And I'm not going to look at it and try to squeeze meaning and purpose out of it for my life. I'm going to use it for what it is. Education is the same way. It's a tool. Use it for what it is. But if you're trying to get the truth out of it, you're setting yourself up for deception. The Bible says, especially in the last days... People will be ever learning, never able to go and receive the knowledge of the truth. My, um, my granddaughters here this morning started college uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we've had this conversation many, many times. And the reality is, is that if you go in to a school for that education and you're trying to find the truth, the devil will make sure that you come out with something. It won't be the truth. And it, it'll probably have some truisms in it. But there's a difference between the truth and truths. The devil's mouth always has some little truths in it. We call them facts. But how they are arranged and the conclusion that they eventually arrive at determines whether they are the truth. When you conclude what you learn, 
Does it end up putting you in the hands of God? Or does it stand you in some other place, the pride of men or some other philosophy? If it's the truth, it'll put you in the hands of Jesus. Somebody say praise the Lord. Again, let me pick up the pace and go to Romans chapter 2, verse 8, where it says, But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And so the third fact that is a warning about the truth is that rebellion against the truth will eventually bring the wrath of God upon you. You know, in pulpits all across the world and all across our country, right here in this city, there are Christians that are always told all you have to do is have the right intentions. If you'll just be kind to that downtrodden person on the street. By the way, none of those things are wrong. Having wrong intentions isn't a good thing, and passing by the needy isn't a good thing. But none of those things are what will bring the wrath of God upon you, doing them or not doing them. But if you disengage and reject the truth and fight against the truth, it will eventually put you in opposition to God and will set you up for the wrath of God. Next, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes to the Galatians who, after receiving the gospel, as time went by, began to listen to false teachers and started receiving false teaching. And he writes to them, and he's concerned because he's, he took the gospel to them. He led them to Jesus. And he writes to them in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3 and says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Notice that term, bewitched, means someone's put you under a spell. Your minds come under an influence. Who bewitched you that you are not obeying the truth? In the same book of Galatians in chapter 5 and verse 7, he says, you were running well, you were doing great. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And so the fourth fact about the truth is that listening, get ready for it. I love Facebook for what it offers. But listen to me. Listening to deceived people can subvert you from the truth. Listening to deceived people can have an effect upon you. Be careful. Jesus warned, be careful what you listen to and how you hear the things that you hear because what you receive is going to determine the measure that you turn around and start measuring out your responses by. Moving on. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Paul warns, the Antichrist will come with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Gives them what they want, what they are struggling for. And so, the fifth fact that is a warning about the truth is that if you refuse to love the truth, it will eventually, your rejection of the love of the truth will lead you to deception and eventually destruction. That really is the course of the end times and of the last days. As more and more people in society peel off, and that peeling off isn't happening just out in the world, it's happening in the church. As people peel off from loving the truth, and how do you know you're not loving the truth? When you start loving things that are against the truth, you are losing your love for the truth. So the next one is found in James chapter 3 and verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So the sixth fact about the truth is that harboring bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart sets you in conflict with the truth. We have to walk in the truth that we have taken hold of. And as Christians, when we allow into our mind and into our heart the forces 
of jealousy, bitterness, envy, and strife, they immediately set up a kill switch, a dead zone inside of you so that there begins to take place a separation from the truth. And so the Bible says, don't press those issues of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart and boast against and be false against the truth because they resist the truth. The next point is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26. For if we deliberately keep on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, no further sacrifice for sins is left for us. The seventh fact about the truth is that there's no way to be saved if you refuse to live by the truth after you receive it. Now, I need you to rightly divide the word and think on that for a little bit. Everybody makes mistakes in their life and everyone gets angry once in a while and you can go through a time in your life where you just start backsliding and kind of moving away from the truth. But here the scripture is talking about those who deliberately reject the truth and live a complete contrary life. You know, people will get saved and then the next thing you know something happens in church and they got a little attitude. And they let that attitude work. And that little attitude has such an effect on them that they go back into the world and start living as though they never were saved. You can hold on in your mind if you want to. That little thought that, well, I believe in God. But one thing you ought to be finding out as you listen to this list, that being saved isn't believing in God. Being saved is having and being possessed and guided by the truth. Those that reject and renounce the truth, who live an alternate life against the truth, cannot save themselves because they tell themselves, I believe in God or I believe in Jesus. The scripture makes it clear that if we continue in that old life, there is no longer a sacrifice for sin if we reject the truth. Rejecting the truth is not saying, well, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in all that other stuff the Bible says that we ought to be doing. Next, Romans 1 and verse 18. For God's holy wrath and indignation are revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who in their wickedness <clears throat> repress and hinder the truth and make it inoperative. Number nine is that people who resist and repress the truth with perverse behavior will come under God's wrath. There are people who Paul described as the enemies of the cross of Christ. There are people that get up every day and are energized with the motivation to destroy the faith of the truth of God's word. And they do it by creating every kind of alternate truth and alternate reality in place of the truth. And so the scripture says those that repress the truth, um, those that repress the truth will end up coming under the, uh, the judgment of God. A little lost my place. Okay, yes. Number eight. Here we go. First Timothy 6 and 5. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. He's talking about those that fight against the truth. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of a continuation of this theme. Perverse disputings. I want you to think about that phrase for a moment. You can't turn on the news without seeing someone interviewed and their entire interview is nothing more than perverse disputings. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth. The other scripture that I selected for this is found in 2 Timothy 3 and 8 where it says, Just as Jannes and Jambres, the two magicians, that opposed Moses, so these people also oppose the truth. 
men of, here you go again, depraved minds rejected concerning the faith. So the eighth fact about the truth is that perverted arguments come from minds that are corrupted because they've rejected the truth. When a person gets to the point where they form within themselves an attitude of hate for the truth, everything they spin up in their mind comes from a corrupt mind and it is referred to as the perverse disputings. We listen sometimes to the things that are put forth in the form of arguments that we should be taking seriously in this world today. And at first, sometimes they seem laughable. They're just so crazy. Where in the world have these people come from? And I'm not going to share any examples with you. It's not necessary, but we all know it doesn't take, you can't go one or two days and you're not hearing perverse disputings. But the Bible makes very clear that what we're listening to is we're listening to the ideas that have come up out of minds that have made the truth their enemy. And when you, in Piz, you can't do anything against the truth. We shared it before. When you try, it has a rebounding effect on you and you just get a little crazy. And you come up with crazy stuff. Next is in Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Oh, we already shared that one. I, I knew I got ahead of myself. Let's go, go down to this next one. 1 John 3 and 18. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the love, or excuse me, let us show the truth by our actions. Let's not merely say we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. Think about it for a moment. The advice you might give in marriage counseling or in settling of personal disputes. Let's love each other. And so, let's show that love in a tangible, practical way. When Paul gives the exhortation, he says, again, the same thing. Let's not merely say that we love each other, but let's show, and I even accidentally finished the sentence by saying, let's show love to one another. But what Paul says is, let's show the truth by our actions. So the tenth point is that talking love without showing the truth by your actions is empty. Because God, because God knows the only thing that's going to save or eventually help or advance anybody is the truth, not the fact that you love them or I love them. Sentiment without the truth is empty. God loved the world, but he showed it by sending the truth. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Some of these sound a little harsh by today's standards, don't they? But if we don't make these clarifications, we leave the door open for deception. And God wants people delivered. He wants them saved. He wants them walking in the light. He wants them to be able to make clear decisions that he can bless and guide them in. And so if we leave ambiguity on the table and we allow people to fudge and, and mix the truth of God without there being any consequence, then that little crack provides all the devil needs to spin up a new lie or a deception. So whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So the 11th fact about the truth is that those claiming to have the truth but living against Jesus' commandments are lying. Now, I'm not saying you should walk up and tell somebody, you're lying. When they say, <laughs> somebody jumps up and church says, well, praise the Lord, I know the Lord, and you know that they're... <clears throat> We're not talking about you and I who have mistakes and make mistakes and uh, still claim to know the Lord. We're talking about people that say, oh, I know the Lord, but their entire life is antithetical to the truth. All of their actions, the whole force of their life is against Christ. There's nothing they do that is in obedience to the truth. They live in disobedience to the commandments of Jesus Christ. If that's the case, then the Bible says they can say they know the truth all they want, but they're lying. John 8 and verse 40. By the way, as you select your friends, when you decide people that you want to look up to, when you go looking for people to listen to, you're going to sit at their feet, you're going to take their advice, consider 
this person's life? Do they live the commandments of Jesus Christ? If they don't, then they don't have a relationship with the truth. Think about who you're, whose feet you're sitting at. Um, I like this one. John 8, 40. Jesus said, But now you're trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. He says to the Pharisees. And then Paul later in Galatians 4.16 says, as he writes to the Galatians, Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? So <clears throat> the twelfth fact about the truth is that telling people the truth can make you their enemy. If you can't handle having enemies because of the truth, then you have no business following Jesus. There is no excuse for having enemies because of your bad behavior. There is no excuse for you having enemies because you're obnoxious or because you're mean or you just don't know how to be kind and get along with people. You know, walking in the truth doesn't give anybody the right to diminish and put down other people who aren't walking in the truth. It gives you the right to walk in the light. It gives you the right to show the truth that you're walking in through your actions. It doesn't give you the right to attack other people and undermine them because they need to come to the truth. But the reality is that when you live in the truth and you share that truth with others, you might make an enemy. Jesus made a few. Paul made a few. And one of the reasons why believers today lack potency and lack power is they can't stand having somebody not like them. They can't stand it when someone says, well, you're a total idiot on Facebook. <laughs> and, you know, if you cannot handle your peers disagreeing with you or even hating you or making you an enemy because of Jesus Christ, not because of your bad character or you've run your bad mouth, but because you spoke the truth, then you really aren't there yet. Next. <clears throat> Isaiah 59, verse 14. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away, for truth has fallen in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. So the 13th fact about the truth is that righteousness and ju ju judgment and justice cannot survive in a society that has rejected the truth. Once a society just orders its institutions to withdraw from the truth, to reject the truth of God as the foundation for reality. Listen to me. The institutions of America rejected the truth of the Word of God as the foundation for reality systematically, piece by piece, during my lifetime. I watched it happen. Today, we have a society, though filled with millions of believers and Christians, the society and the nation we live in have absolutely, officially, categorically rejected the truth. We're not in the process of rejecting it. Our institutions have rejected. We have not only withdrawn from the truth, we have used our court system to seal the door behind us so that you can't even speak the truth. You can't reference the truth in official capacities in American institution, the institutions of government in America. And so, we are not in a good place. And the only hope for America is that the saints get on their face and intercede and let their light shine. We need to win the people. Forget about the government. You need to win the people. The government will come around. We need to win the people. Somebody say amen. So... Isaiah said, justice is turned back, righteousness stands afar off, truth has fallen in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. So the 13th fact is that <clears throat> righteousness and justice cannot survive in a society that's rejected the truth. The next one, second to the last, is 2 Timothy 4, 3-4. For the time is coming... 
when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And so number 14 is, people in the last days will trend, but they will trend away from the truth and gravitate to lies. We see that flow and we see that momentum. The final fact that is a fact of judgment about the truth is found in Hosea 4.1. The Lord has a controversy for, with the inhabitants of the land because there is no truth, no mercy, no knowledge of God in the land. And so the 15th and final statement about judgment regarding the truth is that God's controversy with nations that have known the gospel is their rejection of the truth. It's not how many homeless people you build houses for. It's not how many hospitals you erect. It's not how many money you send to poor countries overseas or what you do regarding the ills of society. When it comes right down to it, God's contention with a nation is whether once they have known and embraced the gospel, have they now become a rejecter of that gospel. Your good works will not save you. Your good works will not save you. So all these preachers that get up and pound the pulpit about, we need to be out doing this and we need to back these efforts and back those efforts. There's nothing wrong with backing, backing good efforts, but let me tell you something. The only effort that's going to really make a difference in heaven is the effort of our nation to turn back to the truth and say, we believe that reality is framed by the truth of the Word of God. Everything else is the foolish lies of men. Now, I told you there's two verses because that was 30. There's two more and they are both promises and warnings and I'll share the first one with you. The first one is found in John 8 and 44. Jesus says, and it's, <laughs> it is a provocative statement. He says, you people are from, and he's talking to the Pharisees who are opposing him and fighting with him. You people are from your father, the devil, and you want to do what your father desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not uphold the truth because there is no truth in him. Now, this is both a promise and a warning. The promise is, the devil will never tell you the truth. That's good news. So stop listening to him. The devil has no truth in him. Everything he speaks, he uses facts to promote lies. Can I say it again? If you don't know what I'm talking about, turn on the news and listen to a politician. They use facts to endorse lies. Are you listening to me? Facts are just simply used to try to steer people into deceptions. And so Jesus says, forget about all that regarding the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. He always will be. And if you listen to his lies, eventually someone's going to end up dead. He was a murderer from the beginning. So you listen to the devil, you're going to end up dead. And the final or second... Um, promise slash warning is found in Proverbs 23, 23. And I love this one. Acquire truth and do not sell it. There's some Christians selling truth for praise and worship music. Are you listening to me? There are churches that have shifted their budgets to accommodate incredible amounts of money because <coughs> the emphasis and focus of their ministry is their music. And the truth of the word is taken a back seat. And so Proverbs says, acquire the truth and do not sell it. Wisdom, discipline, and understanding. So while there's a warning there, there's also a promise. That when you acquire the truth and don't sell it, you will get wisdom. You'll get discipline in your life and you'll get understanding. In preparation for our altar call this morning, I'd like to read one other passage to you. That concludes our list. But let me share with you what Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 13. Listen carefully to the words he chose. 
We also especially thank God continually for this, that when you received the message of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of mere men, but as it truly is the word of God, which is effectually at work in you who believe. Say that phrase with me, effectually at work in you who believe. <clears throat> with emphasis on the word effectually. You received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which is effectually working in you, exercising its superhuman power in order that you may adhere to and trust and rely on the truth of God's word. That word effectually is the Greek word energio. Someone want to take a stab at what an English word comes out of that Greek word? Energy. Yes, energy is the application of power. Energy, energizing. God's word produces energy in our life. Emotional energy. Mental energy. Have you ever been emotionally tired? Anybody married? You know what I'm talking about. You get worn out mentally. Emotionally, you just don't, you want to do the right thing, you want to go here, you want to do these things, you want to fulfill obligations, but you've just been worn down, there's no energy. True Christians that have embraced the truth, they want to walk in the truth, but where's the energy to do it? Every day you and I go out into a filthy, twisted, toxic, dangerous, adversarial world that has behind it the prince of the power of the air whose desire it is to beat you down and to take away your energy. It is an energy depleting experience to go out and spend one day in this world or stay in your house and just put the TV on and let the world come to you. It doesn't make any difference. It all comes and the bottom line is that your energy is depleted but Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says, you receive the truth as the word of God and it is effectively producing energy in you to follow the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. So the energy of God working in your life is produced only through your relationship with the truth. Amen. Now, that may sound elementary to you, but let me tell you something, if you haven't noticed it, that many Christians today are trying to walk their walk with God through the energy they get from their emotions or the energy they get from the approval of other people or sympathy from others. It could be energizing to all of a sudden have somebody go, oh, you poor thing, I, I saw what you went through and... We all want that. There's nothing wrong with encouragement. Encouragement is fine. So encouragement from others can be uplifting. Having the approval or agreement of other people can be uplifting. But I've come here today to tell you that no encouragement from anybody can produce in you the energy to serve God. That comes from the truth. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And could I... Can I add also to you, can I add also, there are many Christians today that are trying to walk with God through the energy of music. Now, I love music. It's no, I mean, um, and sometimes I wonder if I love it too much. I just really just love the sound. Bring. But the reality is that there are whole churches trying to navigate their believers, their members, through this life as they walk with God on nothing but the emotional energy of praise and worship music. Are you listening to me? And praise and worship music is not the truth. It can convey the truth, but it is not the truth. You need to take this list, put it in your lap every morning and read it, and I'll tell you, it'll energize you. It'll build you up. It'll bring you energy. Can you say praise the Lord? You know you can't stay connected to the truth with an assortment of Bible memes and a Christian mingle login. But that's what it's come down to with many Christians today. They like it distilled down to that, those few little memes, those little slogans. I run into believers all the time 
who when wrestling with an issue about how they are to walk in this world in a culture that is hostile to their relationship with God, and they'll whip out a meme and say, but we're supposed to love them. Do you know there's no energy coming out of that silly statement? Now, does that, does that point out a truth? Yes. But the truth that it points out is deep and profound and has instruction in it and will energize you if you rightly divide it and understand what it really means to love God and to love the world. But the simply by the endorsement, the shallow absurdity of modern Christianity, when we look at the world, the dangerous world that we are living in today, and try to make a prominent position out of our life with a simple Christian meme, well, Jesus loved sinners. People throw those little memes, those little slogans out because they don't have anything on the inside. They're listening to Facebook. Are you listening to me? As long as they can get three or five friends on Facebook to, to friend them and go and clap because they put a little poster up. Now, I, I, put, them, I, I put little things up on Facebook. I try to stay away from that silly stuff because it's just people need content. They need reality. And I'm not necessarily convinced that Facebook is the place to engage in reality. <laughs> Quite frankly. But let me tell you what, there are a lot of Christians who do. There's, that's reality. It's, those, it's, it's Instagram, Facebook. You know, that's where they... And you could say, no, that's not true. But if that's where you are drawn to have your significant connections, then you better be ready to stand for the truth. And a, and a, a Christian mingle login is not going to connect you to the truth. The world that Jesus is going to return for and the world that Jesus is going to deal with is going to be divided into two camps. The truth and the lie. And now that may sound simplistic, but by God it ought to be simplistic because souls are in the balance. The truth and the lie. You know, every other religion complicates. And like the shape-shifting tofu truth, they push the idea of truth out into the ambiguous ether world. So that you're always chasing it and you never get a handle on it. But God split history and stepped into our world and made a clear declaration of the truth in the person of Jesus Christ. There's no ambiguity about it. God loved the world and he spoke and showed that love through his son Jesus Christ. There's no question, no issue. So when you find yourself saying, well, yeah, I, I kind of believe in Jesus, but that's not enough. Ding, 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 the sirens. The sirens of 1 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 are screaming. Do you hear them screaming when the Bible says they will not endure sound teaching? And they will look for teachers to tell them things that appeal to their proclivities and their desires and they will begin to follow myths. Jesus is enough. His grace is enough. His truth is more than enough. I'll close with this verse. And as I share this verse, the challenge is pick a path. Jesus is coming. Pick a path. If you're a Christian, pick a path. If you're not saved this morning, you have a wonderful invitation to pick a path. One is the path of life. The other is the path of death. One is the path of life because it is a walk with the truth. The other is the path of death because it's a walk with everything else. The truth and then everything else. The truth and then all the opinions. The truth and then all the other stuff. The world thinks there's a lot of worthy stuff sitting over here. And I, I understand what they're talking about. I laugh at a lot of things. I enjoy a lot of things. But I know it's not the truth. And Christians need to be wise. Pick a path. If you're really serious about your life, Jesus is coming. There's a path of truth that is the path of life. There's a path of lies, and it leads to destruction. And so I give you Psalm 119, verse 130 and 133. The psalmist said, Your instructions are a doorway through which light shines. They give insight to the untrained. 
Direct my steps by your word. Do not let any sin dominate me. Hallelujah. Boy, there's a When it gets right down to it, there's your life. Oh, Lord, put me on a path that's got light. Don't let sin dominate me. And when it comes right down to it, those decisions are made based on the choice of truth or lies. And Jesus is the truth. Can you say amen? Let's stand together. Um,